This is the Youth Worker Collective Podcast. We have your back with everything from games, lessons, and coaching. YouthworkerCollective.com. Welcome to the Youth Worker Collective Podcast. I'm Jeremy Steele, and I'm joined again by Sam Taylor. He works at Servants in Faith and Technology. They call it CFAT. And uh, and one of the hallmarks of CFAT is their uh, their way of um, helping people look at poverty and at the global nature of Christianity uh, through experiential learning. And so, um, uh, Sam, I, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you to, to give us a, a, a walkthrough of, um, of what you do. Um, but, but before we do that, um, you know, what, what, there's different levels of experiential learning, right? And so, mm-hmm. whenever we're teaching, we're hoping to help students um, uh, think, uh, experience uh, what we're talking about in a way that is more than just listening to somebody explain something, right? And right. Um, and so, that can be sometimes as, as simple as um, uh, sort of an imagination exercise or um, as... Uh, as watching um, a video and trying to kind of put put ourselves there, um, mm-hmm. but um, whenever possible, getting our whole bodies involved um, is where we enter um, some really transformative space. So, um, right. especially when there's a way. So, one of the things that's really powerful, right, about mission trips is that it is s- safe question mark but there's also an element of deep discomfort and in a little bit of an element of danger in the sense that we're very outside of our comfort zone we're in a place that we may or may not normally go to in our community uh, or in another place and um and that 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 experience of um a little bit of danger and in a very different place it puts us in this in-between place that's anthropologists call uh, liminal space uh, Mm -hmm. where when we can't really forecast everything, we can't understand exactly what to expect. It's a little bit easier to form new ideas and to to reform old ideas. And so um, that's one of the things that I've always appreciated about um, your organization is the way that you guys have created these spaces because, um, uh, we talked last time about short-term missions, um, and uh, and a lot of times, if you take a student on a short-term mission, their very first response is, "Oh, wow, these people are so poor, and I am so thankful that I'm not poor," um, right. which is not the worst thing to ever think, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to be grateful for what you have, but it's also the result of usually a lack of processing. And, and so mm-hmm. one of the things you can do that and do even a little bit more without even having to go when you do something that's sort of experiential um, like you guys offer. So let's start um, uh, in the, the village experience that you guys offer. Can you tell us a little bit about the village and what you do there? Yeah, so on our property, um, we have what we call our global village. And the global village has nine different countries represented. Um, 
We've built uh, houses for each of those countries, and we've built that in partnership with some of our international students. So another part of what we do, right, is training our international students on life-saving technology in order to meet their three basic needs of, of food, water, and shelter. Um, so we bring in students, uh, train them on different technologies, and then send them back to their communities in the developing world, and they, they teach people um, about those technologies as well. So we realized through that that like you said, we could we could provide um, this experience to a lot of people, right? In a in a safe uh, environment where there's those questions are being asked. So, in our global village, we have nine countries represented, uh, and each country has a house built in partnership with an international student. And that house represents a house from that country, right? Um, not we're not we don't say that all the houses in that country look like our one in the global village, but it's a traditional. Right. Uh, rural home that you would find in in parts of that country, right? So, like for example, our in in uh, in the global village, Nigeria uh, is represented by two uh, brick and straw uh, built circular huts, right? Uh, adobe bricks is what that's called, um, but it's just like a, a clay and straw mixture, sun dried bricks uh, built in a circle with a thatched roof on top, right? Super basic, but represents the house of one of our international students, the house he grew up in actually. Um, and so students get to come here and experience that uh, firsthand, right? They are right. seeing what a house looks like. They're seeing someone else's context in a, in a impactful and meaningful way. And um, I can tell you so yeah. as a person who's been there, um, that mm -hmm. in itself is really powerful. Um, right. But what's what's even uh, what I think kind of takes it from the tourism um, experience is how you offer the people offer people the ability to really see it from the inside, right? Mm -hmm. So how, so yeah. when when you take students there to the global village, um, what are the what do you do beyond just showing them those facilities? Yeah. So we, we provide them an opportunity to see all the, the houses, but then they'll also spend time uh, living in that house, right? Mm -hmm. Depending on the programming you sign up for uh, that could be a couple hours or it could be an overnight experience where they're going to be cooking uh, in a traditional way, either like on a uh, fuel efficient cook stove or, on an open fire, they're going to be cooking traditional meals you would find uh, in that area, and they're going to be sleeping in a house, right? Um, mm -hmm. The same way our brothers and sisters around the world uh, sleep in that house. Uh, yeah. Our founder uh, is a lady named Sarah Corson. Uh, Ken and Sarah were the founders of, of CFAT, but she has this really beautiful quote uh, when she says, when we walk in the shoes of our brothers and sisters and when we live how they live, the reasons for their poverty become so real. Wow. Right. Yeah, that's um, true. And so you are, we, we provide the opportunity for students to, to live the same way a, a person their age is living in another country. Right. Um, and so and, that's, yeah, and that's powerful. So powerful. Uh, mm. I'll, I'll never forget. We, I had a group of students there. Um, we woke up, uh, yeah, uh, we were living in, uh, I think it was uh, the Uganda house and um, we woke up and we were, no, that's not, it was in the Ecuador house. It was in Central or South America. It, it, and we woke up and, and uh, we had 
uh, a box of food that was our mm -hmm. breakfast. And uh, it was like eight of us, 10 of us. And there was like yeah. a couple of tortillas and a couple of oranges. There was not anywhere close to enough oranges for each person to have a half of an orange. And, right. and it was, but th so the difference between telling people how much somebody has to eat and handing them this box and say, this is your breakfast. Like we had yeah. this moment of like, okay, who's going to eat what, <laughs> how do mm -hmm. we decide that? And, um, and, and I remember after that, thinking, you know, like it's really powerful at CFAD in the, in the hut and all this kind of stuff. But like, that is totally, uh, uh, overnight lock in a bowl, right? Oh yeah. Definitely. Having a box. And if, and especially if you, you've got a team that's going to be going somewhere to just to do the research, see so what is, what do people eat? What, what are the portions and then sit down and have them because the discussion that you have about poverty on an empty stomach after doing manual labor, it's a whole mm -hmm. other discussion, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's another thing we get to, to do in, in the global villages. We, we provide that the meal, right? Like a traditional meal for that area. But then also we practice traditional roles. Um, mean, just meaning like in the morning, if you, if you do an overnight in our global village, in the morning, the guys in your group get up and they go to work. The women get up and they are in charge of cooking breakfast and taking care of the house and getting clean drinking water, those types of things, right? Yeah. Um, and by getting clean drinking water, I mean, you you guys are talking about, you're talking about carrying gallons of water for a long way, right? Right. Yeah. So the global average in, in, or in the developing world, I should say, on average, women have to walk between four and five miles a day to get drinking water. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so we've condensed that, uh, <laughs> and the women in our village walk one mile basically down a trail, uh, to a spot where we have, uh, water jugs and they're like five gallon, a couple five gallon water jugs. And then they have to bring those back to their house. Right. Which is not an easy thing to do. Um, no, it is not. And so yeah. And so Especially for American teenagers, like it's, it, it's just it's a real, I mean, it is a real, when most of your summer is spent, you know, sitting in front of a, a, a phone screen, you know, doing TikTok yeah. videos. I mean, like, it's a shock. Yeah, yeah no, definitely. Uh, and it's like, yeah, bringing that water back. Um, you are every step. We had a student say every step, I felt like I was there, right? Every uh -huh. step I felt more and more like I was there, uh -huh. you know? And that was just her way of, of saying like every, every second I was part of this experience, I felt more connected to my brothers and sisters, you know, um, which is so powerful. And what that does is that that creates the best thing we get to do is we don't, we answer some questions, but we create twice as many questions as yeah. the answer. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so that just creates more questions about, our role uh, in all of this, right? Like, yeah. why did me as Sam, why, why was I born to a middle-class white family in South Alabama? You know what I mean? Right. Um, and I wouldn't have thought about that so critically if I hadn't been exposed to the realities here at CFAT, you know? Yeah, um, and, and again, but, like, that's a great example. And, and I think talking to youth workers, like, when you're doing a lesson and you're going to talk about 
somebody having to walk five miles with water, mm-hmm. like fill up some water jugs and put them in the hands yeah. of your students. And what if yeah. we taught the lesson as you guys took a half mile walk holding those water jugs, right? right? Yeah. Like how much more impactful would that lesson be if you thought of it in those sort of experiential terms? Okay, so yeah. you guys have the the village, but you also have another area, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we have an urban slum uh, simulation where, again, depending on the programming you do with the group, uh, we can we walk through it. And a lot of this is like we, we put it on the youth pastors and saying we want to do whatever you think your students can handle. Right. Right. Uh, on, on one end, we have like just a tour where they're walking through um, and we're, we're very silent. We're very reverent. Uh, we, we walk through. And we look at the realities of an urban slum, right? Over a billion people around the world live in an urban slum, normally located outside of major cities because they'll have access to to resources to build uh, their housing. But it's always and it's mean, off, by resources, housing. you mean like scraps and garbage. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's often improper housing. So it's like your door is an old bed frame. Right. Your roof is cut up tires, your siding on your house is a mattress and old rusted tin that got replaced off an office building in the downtown area. You know, it's like all these things that, um, and, and you're not a construction worker, right? Like maybe you made bricks your whole life in a rural village and now you're in this situation where you have to build a house for you and your family. So we have that set up. Uh, and yeah, on one end, we, we just, let students see it and we talk about the realities, but then we also talk about the joys of an urban slum, right? It's not all negative. Uh, There's love and there's games played and there's, uh, you know, excitement and people are cooking out and watching TV. A lot of places, uh, a lot of slums, people can't afford a a house, but they could get a used TV and they'll watch the soccer game or rugby or cricket or whatever the the sport is for that area, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And then on the other extreme is, we offer a slum simulation where we have either staff, um, staff and volunteers portray the roles of, of people we know that live in an urban slum. Uh, and so we'll have a slum Lord and that person is in character as the slum Lord. Uh, we'll have gang members and those people are in character as gang members. We'll have a store owner, um, or a day laborer. We'll have, uh, a number, you know, uh, homeless people. We'll have those things in the slums and students are just, we tell students like your job in your family group, right? In whatever your youth group, however we split it up, uh, your job is to go in here and find food, water, and shelter, right? Right. So in order to do that, you're going to have to work. You're going to have to talk to people. You're going to have to be part of this environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no there's no way to win, right? There's nothing they can right. do to make the experience in sooner. It's not a puzzle that they're trying to put the pieces together. Mm-hmm. It's, it's life, you know, and they're just yeah. experiencing that um, in a really real way. Yeah. Um, and I can so tell you from being with students, oftentimes they, they arrive with something, you know, a backpack or a sleeping bag, and there's all these structures there's also you know the people that are in character uh as these people from the developing world and they'll just go and put their stuff inside one of the structures and then the slumlord will come by and say uh you've got to pay me and we don't have any money it's like well you can't sleep here (laughs) yeah it's just like there's this moment where they're like well how do we get money 
oh, we yeah. find work. And yeah. that is a, a real, it's powerful. Um, but, you yeah. know, as I'm thinking about this with, with youth pastors, right, though um, uh, I actually got permission from our church to build a slum um, mm. one summer, uh, on our church campus <laughs> and they regretted that decision by the time it was done. Um, uh, we got a lot of concerned conversations with the trustees of what we were building out in the woods there. Um, mm -hmm. but, um, short of that, right. I think the putting what happens there is two things, um, that I think is really important that it, it's, giving students the opportunity to have to make the same kinds of decisions people are making in that, in that place. Right. Right. Yeah. So in whatever, in whatever sort of lesson, and this doesn't have to just be lessons about poverty or justice, really most of the things that we're talking about with students, there is a, there is some way for us to look at it from the inside and give the students an opportunity to make the similar decisions that they would have to make to encounter the same problems. And, and it, Sam, it's not easy to come up with this kind of stuff. Like, Oh it yeah. It takes you a while. Right. Right. Yeah. So for our summer experience, right. That's where, uh, during June and July, we have a, a learn and serve summer experience and it's for six to 12th grade students, uh, come to CFAT and stay here for four days, a Sunday to a Thursday. Um, and we have like a specific curriculum we follow throughout the week. We have a specific uh, slum experience that we do every week um, for the students. And we spend all year working on that, getting the stories, um, learning about people's lives, figuring out like what are the struggles in that area or that slum or that village, uh, and then implementing that into our programming. So it takes months and months and months. And we and the big thing is, and we're very transparent about this, is there's no way for CFAT to get it 100% right. Right, you know? yeah, of course not. Um, and so like there are drugs and guns in an urban slum. There are not drugs and guns in a <laughs> <laughs> Right, yeah, uh, which is good. Yeah. That's totally good, right? We could not have insurance, uh, but... <laughs> <laughs> and so we we spend so much time and we don't get it right, uh, 100% right, but we get it right enough to where there's, you know, a deep spiritual, physical, emotional connection uh, to people uh, that live in a different context than students from the U.S. And that's that's the goal, right? It's for, yeah. for just learn more. Um and create more questions. Yeah. yeah. And then the other thing that I've, I found really interesting was it was several years ago. I was, I was we had a, um, one of our students that was a volunteer there. And that was the first time I found out that the, the people, you know, so they, there's the slumlord person playing a slumlord, the person playing all these different things, but that they're not just playing a role that you guys made up. Like there's, it's just a real person's life. And you've, yeah. you're actually, those people are, are trying to embody the lives of the people uh, in another part of the world. And, and they're, they're not just talking about an anonymous person. They're talking about a specific person and, yeah. and in processing with the, one of the young adult that was uh, from our group that was, you know, serving as a, as a staff person, mm -hmm. it was really affecting to them 
to try to try to be them, try to respond in the way they think that person would respond and, and try to see the world through their eyes and, and react in that, in the right ways that was honoring that person's story, uh, mm-hmm. which I think is another, another tool of experiential learning that obviously the participants in your program don't get to do, but, um, but when we're thinking about teaching in this way, um, mm-hmm. giving students a story and then having them embody the person, you know, giving the students a person's story, having them embody that story, maybe give a couple of stories to a couple of students and let them have a conversation really in the first person, right? Yep. Um, trying to answer, trying to, because what, what happens when you're trying to act as the person, there's a switch that flips inside of you where you mm-hmm. start kind of imagining uh, using your imagination to connect with sort of the underlying, like what, what are the motivations? What, how does this feel? Like, why would, why would they do or say these kinds of things? And so uh, I think that's another sort of experiential learning piece that, that, that you guys do. And, and I think youth pastors can do um, oh, really yeah. well in, where they are. And, and I know that you kind of travel around and speak to people and like go to churches and talk to them. Like what, mm-hmm. what are some of the things that you've seen people do really well with experiential learning? Yeah. So there's, there's two things that, that come to mind uh, immediately. We had a group came uh, and did a slum experience uh, and had a great, you know, transforming time. And the youth pastor said, can I, can, can I partner with CFAC? Can I get y'all's help on thinking of a, a lesson for me to do on a, a Wednesday night? Right. And we're like, yeah, absolutely. this church was from Atlanta uh, or just outside of Atlanta. And he wanted to talk about poverty uh, in his own community and specifically homelessness. Right? right. And so he did basically what you just said, like a deep dive into the, the idea of homelessness in the Atlanta area. Uh, and so he said, he gave students like, you are this person. Uh, he wasn't able to go into like as much detail of like getting actual names from actual people right, right. Uh, or homeless community in Atlanta. Right. But he gave people names and he's like, this is you're homeless. This is what you do all day. This is the thing you did right before you became homeless. Right. Like you right. were, you worked uh, as a mechanic. Right. And then let them, figure out why, how did I get here? You know? Uh, cause the reality is, is like, we see, we see someone who's homeless, uh, especially in the U S we have this like super negative connotation of like, Oh, they're on drugs. Oh, they're lazy. Oh, right. whatever it is. Right. Um, and we see that and we say that person's not worth my time. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that person isn't, isn't the caliber of person I am. But when you actually deep dive into the psyche and the, the emotional side of, of who that person is, you realize, Oh, maybe, maybe they worked like a great job, you know, right. And they had an injury and they had to sell their car in order to pay for this injury. And now they couldn't get to work on time and they got laid off, but they didn't have the opportunity to go to school. So they, uh, that's all they knew, right? They didn't have anything to fall back on. Like they were a mechanic for 20 years and had a high school education. Uh, you know, like all these problems that, uh, that come, that come to life when you see, uh, when you deep dive into, into that experience, uh, is great. Like that yeah. is a something you can do 
you know, on a Wednesday, Sunday night, whenever, uh, for a retreat, for a lock-in, you can have that experience with students of just thinking, right? Just using your mind and thinking about the realities of people that we pass on the street every day. Um, So that's one. That's like a super easy one to do. And then another thing that we do here at CFAT is uh, it's called the Global Feast. Um, And so we have we have groups broken up into three categories, right? Um, so we go, we say we're going to have a global feast. We go to our cafeteria and as every, as every student enters the cafeteria, they reach into a bag and they pull out a poker chip. And that poker chip is either one of three colors. It's either white, blue, or red. Um, and each color represents a percentage of people around the world, right? Um, and the food that they get to eat. So the white chip uh, represents 15% of the world that has food every day. Uh, the red chip represents 35% of the world that has something to eat, but it doesn't have the nutrients they need, right, uh, to sustain a healthy life, have a healthy immune system. They have access to food, but it's not enough. And then the blue chip represents 50% of the world, right? And they might get food in a day or they might not. They don't know when their next meal is coming. Uh, mm-hmm. And so we enter to this room and they say, you know, we have this in the U.S. especially, we have like a very, uh, I don't know, almost like confrontational, almost like food is our right. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, we're supposed to eat food, uh, which isn't a reality. We get to eat food. Uh, and so we take them into our cafeteria and they have these three chips and they sit at different places. There are different tables. Some of them have to stand against the wall, uh, make the 50% stand against the wall, and they have to watch the 15% eat food, right? Mm-hmm. And they get waited on, and there's enough. And if they get too much, we throw it away. Uh, and they can get more, and they can get as much food as they want. And then we leave the cafeteria, and we go to our outdoor chapel, and we talk about uh, the realities of food uh, for our brothers and sisters around the world. We do let them eat, right? We have to let them eat. You go back and you have your food, but that is something you can do with pizza in your youth room, right? right. Um, you can give a certain percentage, you can give 15% of your students a slice of pizza and you can give 35% of your students um, like a piece of bread and then you can give 50% of your students nothing. Right. Right. And you can have that conversation on a micro scale, right? It's not, doesn't have all the programming that we put on it, but you are experiencing realities for people around the world in your church in that moment, right then. Right. And the biggest question, the biggest thing that comes out of that is no one in those groups did anything to be there necessarily. right? Right. What we say is like you reached into a bag and you pulled out a chip. It was literally luck of the draw, mm-hmm. right? You are in the environment you in that that tells you you can eat food or not. Um, it's like a super small percent of people work hard enough. Um, the idea of like upward mobility, right? That if you work hard, you'll be able to better yourself. Mm-hmm. It's like a real in society thing. But uh, the reality is that like I was born in the United States and I didn't do anything to be born to my parents. Right. Like it just happened. Mm-hmm. What does that mean for me? Um, the biggest thing I say with that, with all of our experiences is we, we don't want people to feel guilty for right. the way they live. No, we believe guilt's like 
really negative place. And it's hard to make, it's hard to make good change come out of guilt. Yeah. Um, but what we want people to feel empowered and to feel responsible, yeah. right? Responsible to people around the world, uh, to our brothers and sisters, responsible for their actions they take every day. Um, so yeah, those are two really easy things to do. Um, yeah. about, uh, Maybe it's not the homeless people in your community, but uh, different realities of people around the world. And then doing a global feast, something that physically represents the starch contrast between classes, right? Um, is super, super helpful uh, yeah. and is a great experience that, that anyone can do uh, at their church. Yeah. Sam, thanks for all this time that you've spent with us today. Um, you know, when when we think about all the teaching that we do uh, in youth ministry, there are so many opportunities for us uh, to be creative and to, to have a bigger impact than, um, than just lecturing students. Um, the lecture, it can be helpful and important. Um, stuff like this, I think really helps us imagine something bigger. And so I appreciate that. Appreciate you sharing your, the way that you, you guys use this experiential learning um, around issues of poverty and justice. Um, and, it, but I think it, it, can help us think about how we use this in every issue and, and all the things we teach. And, and, and that's really what this uh, Youth Worker Collective is about. You know, when you get online to work, it can feel like it's difficult, right? It can feel lonely and isolating, and especially when you're trying to be creative. Um, and so that's why we do the Youth Worker Collective. Um, if you're looking for more about SAM and CFAT, you can go to CFAT.org. That's S I F A T dot O R G. Um, Servants and Faith and Technology is what that stands for. And if you're looking for more resources like this, um, we want to be your first place you turn when you get online um, for games and ideas, lessons, and in coaching. Um, and you can find all that at youthworkercollective.com. You can find more podcasts like this one at youthworkercollective.com slash podcast. 